You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. The human mind and AI work very differently in how they, they see things. A lot of times people intertwine these words and we believe they're, they're actually quite different. It's a constant cycle uh, and the learnings from these feed on each other. You know, we need to be careful of what we put into the AI bucket, what we don't put into the AI bucket, because it's easy to jump on a bandwagon. At the 2017 RSA conference, artificial intelligence and machine learning were on just about everyone's list of hot topics. Countless companies are offering AI and ML solutions, with most of them claiming game-changer status. In this CyberWire special edition, we gather a group of experts to sort through the hype, try to agree on some definitions, demystify the technology, and make the business case for artificial intelligence. Stay with us. The way I define AI is it's the science and engineering of uh, making intelligent machines uh, that can complement or offset the limitations of uh, human operations in cyber today. That's Ravi Devaredi. He's chief technology officer for E8 Security. Full disclosure, E8 is a CyberWire sponsor. One of the challenges with an emerging, rapidly evolving technology like artificial intelligence is that not everyone agrees on how to define it. So we'll start there. Here's Ravi again. And and there are several branches within AI, but predominantly it's around machine learning-enabled AI, uh, where computers are taught to learn instead of being explicitly programmed to do something. Uh, Typically, I break these two into two different buckets. That's Shazad Merchant. He's chief technology officer with Gigamon. The way I think about machine learning is that there is an element of what we do as defenders where we try to surface anomalies uh, in your infrastructure. Uh, But anomalies are only relative to what is normal, right? So you have to build up context into what normal-like behavior looks like for your organization. And against that, you try to surface anomalies. I think that's the realm of machine learning. You learn what normal behavior is for your organization, and then you triangulate known bad behavior to surface out anomalies. The next pillar, I think, is artificial intelligence, which is a little bit different, which is that once I have surfaced an anomaly, that anomaly has happened. It's occurred. Right? Uh, it's already done. It's in the past. The question is what's going to happen next? And you have to predict. You have to apply some cognition uh, to be able to predict what are the next stages in the cycle. And I think that's the realm of artificial intelligence. Right? It's where you apply your knowledge based off. I've seen this kind of behavior before. And based on that, these are the next steps in the attack cycle. That's where the AI pieces come in. We often use AI too broadly. Ravi Devaredi from E8. When it comes to AI, we can think of first as two distinct uh, phases. 
there is, of course, a narrow AI and general AI. Uh, narrow AI is around uh, focusing on specific applications, uh, such as, let's say, self-driving car or cyber threat detection, image recognition, NLP, natural language processing, and so on. That's around one specific application where AI can learn and do things better than a human could do. And then there is a second phase of general AI, which is uh, AI system that has intelligent behavior as advanced as a human being uh, can do a range of like cognitive tasks and perhaps even have like emotional intelligence. In today's state, narrow AI is where most of the work is happening. General AI is, isn't available. I, I think researchers predict that it could be another 20, 30 years before we see that uh, kind of AI come out. So within, the, within that narrow AI, uh, there are multiple methods and tools and techniques that are being applied. Uh, machine learning is the predominant technique uh, that, is, that is powering most of the AI work. To us, machine learning is it's a series of kind of human curated algorithms that are built to adjust as data changes over time. That's Lee Weiner. He's chief product officer at Rapid7. Whereas artificial intelligence really is about a series of machine learning algorithms that will be modified and tuned over time with no human interaction, which, you know, in theory is to be able to have a much higher success rate than humans could actually do. So whereas machine learning requires people, AI does not. And so that, at a high level, that's that's how we think about it. And I use machine learning as the, as the thing to compare it to because a lot of times people intertwine these words and we believe they're, they're actually quite different. Monzi Mirza is head of security research at Splunk. I caught up with him on the RSA conference show floor. For us, machine learning is really about regression or, or progression. It's, it's about classification and it's about clustering. And so that's, that's kind of math mumbo jumbo, but what that helps us do is instead of getting caught up in the hype, we can be very specific in solving a customer problem. In the cybersecurity space then, that becomes, that becomes re relevant when we start looking at user behavior analysis, for example. There's, you know, Monzi is a person who generally comes in to work between eight o'clock and, and, and five o'clock. And, but then if for some reason I somehow come in someplace at two o'clock in the morning and start logging into a system or going into a room with a, with a bad swipe and I'm behaving very differently, we can very quickly identify that because we're applying machine learning not just to the population but to the individual itself to classify and cluster that user's behavior. There's a lot of different approaches in terms of cognition and machine learning, etc. That's Dennis Canelli, VP of Management and Technology for IBM Security. They aim to make a splash in cybersecurity artificial intelligence this year with their Watson Cognitive Engine. It's not a search engine. It's not a pattern matching engine. Cognitive systems, they learn at scale and, you know, reason and interact with humans naturally. I mean, that's really what our goal here is. Because when it comes to security and understanding a cyber threat, it's a complex set of dependencies and patterns. I mean, the attacker wants to cover their tracks very quickly. And it's not always obvious, you know, what the attack pattern is. Because if there was a, a well-defined pattern, then you could use basic machine learning to identify that. But using cognition and an ability to actually look at a pattern and then reason, and then infer from that reason another set of questions and another set of queries, and that is much more expensive than doing a straight pattern match. 
When Canelli says expensive, he means in terms of computational power, not necessarily dollars and cents. I also spoke with Matt Wolf, chief data scientist at Silence, also a Cyberwire sponsor, on the RSA show floor. So if you look at the history of AI, there have already been several uh, sort of peaks in AI, followed by what called AI winters, right? So people have hyped up AI before, only to be brought back down to reality what AI can actually deliver. Now, in the last few years, we've seen another resurgence in AI, and I think this one's very different. The underlying properties of machine learning in particular, which is driving most AI today, is that at this point, we now have an immense amount of data across all the devices and, and, and industries and, and, and people um, out there today. And we have uh, an immense capacity into the CPU to utilize that, to learn from it, to train machines. And that's driving a lot of the innovation AI today. So some of the techniques we had 30 years ago still were relevant today. But the reason they weren't catching on in the past because the data on the CPU wasn't there to make these techniques effective. The third gen is what I call assisting the human operations. Ravi Devaredi from E8. And here, mostly what I've seen is around unsupervised learning, where we are uh, training these AI systems to discover and learn uh, a particular environment and use that learning to identify uh, changes of uh, activities, patterns of activities or anomalies. Right? That's what we are seeing today. The deep learning is the likely the next evolution of this uh, unsupervised learning techniques where we're limited uh, to the features that we feed into these ML engines and the deep learning and these new techniques can help us overcome that limitation and where uh, there's a loop of learning that will happen within the engine itself. Deep learning is perhaps best known for being used with image recognition and natural language processing. Deep Instinct is one of a handful of companies using deep learning to tackle the challenges of cybersecurity. Guy Caspi is CEO of Deep Instinct. I caught up with him on the RSA show floor. Deep learning actually is a methodology which is skipping all the processes of manual feature extraction. Actually, if you know how to build it on the right way, you just take the uh, pure data like we are doing in computer vision, you pour it into the deep neural network, and you will get the result at the end of the uh, process. Of course, this sounds like the holy grail, and like a black box that, that you know, you have the genie out of the bottle and it's solving everything. And still, the uh, entry of barrier into this domain is huge because it's very complex, both metwise and deep learning is not a single algorithm. It's a family of uh, many tens of algorithms and the implementation is super complex because you need to uh, implement this over GPUs, which is a very, very complex task by itself. Right, there's a continuum. Shazad Merchant from Gigamon. Right, so you do the ML, you surface the anomalies, you feed into the AI engine, you determine intent, and then you take some action, uh, and then you come back to the machine learning piece, right? So these, it's a constant cycle, uh, and the learnings from these feed on each other. So people are talking about this deep learning because this, this whole security paradigm functions in a constant feedback loop. And that's where the deep learning comes in. It's not like machine learning that you need to extract, I don't know, 2,000, 3,000 features, and this is what you have. As much data as you have, the system will be better every second day. And this is the major advantage between uh, machine learning and deep learning. Talking cybersecurity, which we have 1.5 million new malware every day, which most of them are mutation over previously mutation over previously mutated malware, 
when you have a methodology with skip feature extraction, you can provide super fast answer and you can deal with this unknown malware on the first time you see them. And this is the uniqueness of deep learning implementing in the field of cybersecurity. A lot of research is in what we call structured data, uh, where there are you know, databases of well-defined objects like uh, vulnerabilities, bad domains, etc. And it's all well correlated and stored in the database. Now, that constitutes roughly about 10% of the data to actually you know, research a threat. The other 90% sits in you know, these unstructured uh, data sources, things like blogs, websites, Twitter feeds, etc. Uh, and to give you an example, and this thing is constantly evolving, there's about 60,000 new blogs being written every month about vulnerabilities and attack patterns, about 10,000 white papers every year. So when the, the security operator or the SOC operator is sitting in the SOC, you know, they have obviously the structured information, and we have over the years done a very good job of mapping that into systems in the SOC. But then the skill level really comes down to in mining this unstructured information. And given the scale and the quantity and the rate of pace and change, it is almost impossible for any human being to be able to research this and keep up. And at the end of the day, remember all this information that is coming at them every day of the week. And that is the problem that Watson is setting out to solve. Roughly what we estimate is that an individual working in a SOC, a level one SOC operator, can deal with approximately 20 major events per day. Some events are, are pretty benign, right? They are actually, you know, somebody puts uh, installed software on a, an endpoint, it starts to communicate with a host that it hasn't communicated before. So that might be normal behavior. But in some cases, it is abnormal behavior because that software came from somewhere uh, that it shouldn't have come from, and it's communicating with some place that it shouldn't be communicating with. And the software operator has to deal with that and look at that every day and make a, a, a decision. And if you think about it, 20 of these per day, roughly he has or she has between 15 and 20 minutes to make that decision to escalate or actually say this is the nine. So where Watson enters is the help in that adjudication and help in that triage process and really speed up that triage process and make the decisions. One of the key challenges uh, that organizations and uh, security have today is, again, is really understanding malicious activity. Lee Weiner from Rapid7. And I think both AI and machine learning, machine learning probably more, more uh, in the short term, can really help information security professionals identify malicious behavior. If you think about what we looked at before, three, four years ago, we looked for malicious software, right? But the reality is that that attackers exhibit behaviors, and, and looking for malicious behavior is something that uh, machine learning and, and AI over time can absolutely help with. It's hard to detect attackers' malicious behavior because oftentimes they masquerade as actual users and actual people. So I think there's a, there's a great example of a use case where automation and, and machine learning can really have a big impact 
and I think it, it'll you know we'll continue to see that. I think we are we are at a time in history where uh, the number of threats and the diversity of threats is only increasing, and the bad actors know this, right? And what they're doing is they're using uh, uh, div- uh, diversion-based techniques. So they're creating threats in one direction, and because we are so bogged down through manual processes, uh, we get bogged down trying to identify the threat, figure out what's going on, whereas the real attack is happening somewhere else. And that's happening today. This is really happening today, right? And so consequently, we have to be able to respond very quickly and perhaps in an automated way so that we don't get bogged down by these diversions, by the volume of, of threats and attacks that the bad actors are throwing at us. And so I do think that as, as people deploy machine learning techniques and as the handover happens to the AI pieces, that has to become an automated process. Uh, and, and the less we get bogged down by human intervention, the better we will be able to scale and deal with these attacks. Making it even worse is the demand for security professionals is outstripping the supply. And that is where I think uh, we should see a lot of uh, new uh, developments where AI will enable security operations. Uh, I call it the AI-assisted security operations. We should start to see that that emergence uh, in, in 2017 and around. The workforce shortage, which is significant in IT security, is not going to be solved with trying to enable more people to be able to do the job. You know, the security technology industry needs to take a little bit of responsibility for this problem, right? Because security technology products uh, and solutions are not simple and easy to use. Many of them are built and designed for very sophisticated security technology or security professionals, right? That are that are very well educated in in um, information security uh, and different aspects of it to be able to manage their program and um, manage uh, their environment. And those organizations, which you know, I would call the resource-rich organizations that have a lot of budget and can hire a lot of very well-skilled professionals, you know, they can become system integrators. But that will not solve the skills gap, right? The skills gap means that we need to develop automated mainstream solutions that a less sophisticated security pro could use, or even maybe maybe an IT person can use. Um, And I absolutely agree that um, we need to do that. We need to have a much broader focus on usability, have a much broader focus on adoption of this technology versus kind of the promise of what it might deliver. And yeah, I mean, I think I think machine learning and AI will be will be key to solving that problem. Now, AI isn't going to replace your CISO. You'll still need, you know, strong security leadership and people who can do those jobs and apply human intelligence to the problem. But I think to shore up the gap, you know, in the workforce, we will need software that is AI based to help. That's Rick Grinnell from Glasswing Ventures. They're a venture capital firm with a focus on investing in companies that are innovating in artificial intelligence. We'll hear more from him in a moment, but first some more from Ravi Devaretti from E8 on the notion of teaming AI and humans together. It's not going to be a replacement for security operations, uh, where I think truly the AI will shine and deliver the promise is when it's human-assisted AI, where uh, all the th- things that AI cannot do is, uh, is the ability to assess a situation and decide an au- action based on a specific sit- uh, mission or environment. Um, so that is still a handicap for AI systems. But combining human knowledge of that particular environment with AI-enabled intelligence 
is where uh, AI will offset the limitations of human operators and vice versa. This is where I think we will see the best outcomes in uh, manage, managing security. Um, human operators can assist AI by reinforcing the learning, providing the feedback to the AI models. And over time, we should expect the system to adapt uh, its analysis based on these uh, human inputs and creates what we call the learning loop between AI and the human analysts. And that's an important point for, for customers or uh, companies that are either building AI or even adapting to AI systems to know that human beings are essential in, in maturing this uh, and assisting AI as well. The human mind and AI work very differently in how they, they see things. That's Matt Wolf from Silence. And so the combination of both is it's going to be quite a powerful solution um, for a while. And there's a lot of research going on into the best ways to kind of intertwine those two. If you take a traditional IDS or even a traditional SIM that has a bunch of rules, typically based off of signatures of some sort, whether it's um, IP addresses or maybe hashes, whatever it might be, you know, it's pretty simple to create that that rule. Uh, now, that rule will likely be extremely noisy and very challenging for someone to investigate an alert off of, because you probably will get, it's difficult to build a rule that is very specific and low noise. Now, if you look at machine learning, though, right, with a, with a person uh, assisting that machine learning, they can look at trends over time. They can look at behaviors. Uh, they can look at a, a, a much broader set of data to create an algorithm that you know, while it's not easy to do that, the effectiveness of that machine learning algorithm versus that simple rule is going to be extremely high. The machine allows us to be, maybe to be too crazy, it's to be more human. Monzi Mirza from Splunk. Because we can spend the time doing things that we do as human beings rather than worrying about some of the things that are deterministic where we can use assistive things, something as simple as a lever, all the way reaching out. So doing something very sophisticated and understanding the, the result of a, of a medical therapy, for example, and, and, be, and applying that in a certain fashion because we can add more context. And I think human beings have that power that we have context, environmental context, experiential context, that it takes time for machines to learn that maybe someday they'll get there. But in the meantime, I think that augmentation is, is, is going to be very essential to our success. So far, we've covered the technology, but what about the business case for AI? As we said at the top of the show, artificial intelligence is hot right now. And that means there are a lot of startups and a lot of investors chasing AI-based products and solutions. Let's get back to Rick Grinnell, our venture capital investor from Glasswing Ventures. In, I would say, 99.9% .9 of all cases, you are looking at a minimum for a product company and typically you're looking for, as they would say in the business, a company, not a product. You know, that you should be investing in companies, not products, products, not features. But, you know, at an early stage, most of the things that we're looking at are, you know, early products. And the company isn't quite there yet. You are missing uh, particular talents. Typically, early stage companies don't have the uh, VP of marketing that they might need down the road. But anyhow, you can help build that talent around the core technical team that typically starts a company. Mm. More often than not, you are looking as an investor for a product company that address at least a particular business problem and can do it independently. So those are the companies that are easiest to scale, where you are in charge of your own destiny. 
You're not reliant on a partner company to supply some part of the solution. And uh, you are an easy sale to explain to a customer as opposed to selling a toolkit of technology. And especially now that you're talking about AI and machine learning, I think that's a very difficult sale to sell, quote unquote, technology to whether it's a chief security officer, a chief information security officer, a VP of marketing. Uh, you know, how do you prove that your AI is better than someone else's AI? I think you really need to show that your application solves a business problem more cost-effectively, more simply than other competing solutions. And I think the reason that that is accomplished or the, the value behind these better applications is better AI as a significant piece. Obviously, UI technology and, and whatnot is not driven by AI. There's a use, ease of use and scalability that is beyond just the math, which is also important to the success. But I think as you think about what will be different because there's a lot of good applications out there, but I think what will differentiate is having the better mathematics under the hood. We can get in a language game about this is AI or that's AI or or, or one way or the other, and it's 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 interesting. It's you know we can beat each other, you know, beat our chests and say my algorithm is bigger than y'all algorithm. At the end of the day, it's about customer value. It's not about AI or machine learning or the or the other term. It's about what's the value that that's bringing. And if my customer says that this particular set of, of capability helps them solve the problem that they're interested in solving, that's what we focus on. Our big focus at Splunk is to say, how do we focus on the human? Whether that human is an analyst, or whether that human is somebody in the C-suite or a board member, say we want to take this machine information, contextualize it, and provide risk-based analytics to go along with it, such that they can make a good decision. Now, if that risk-based analytics or that contextualization requires some sort of machine learning, that's the right answer. If it requires some basic statistical aggregation or just a count or a sum of something, that's the right answer. For us, viable investments are first and foremost centered around viable machine learning and applied artificial intelligence technology. Step two is they have to be encapsulated in such a way that the technology addresses a particular business problem, particularly for the enterprise. It could be next generation security technology for the endpoint or the middle point, or things that would be next generation SaaS applications, the next generation marketing, sales, HR applications. You could look at the marketing and advertising space, how to more effectively mine customer data, clickstream data and the like. Again, these narrow use cases that over time may get broader, but I think it's easier to first go after a specific problem and do that well before you get too broad. So I'm not, you know, as an investor looking at things that are what I call research areas in AI. These are not 20 year projects. They're not 10 year projects. And we're not trying to focus on, uh, you know, the uh, competitor to Watson or Google DeepMind or things that would be, you know, human brain replacements. We're really looking at applied AI and machine learning that you can develop and uh, get to market in, you know, two, two to three year time frame that fits within a venture cycle. You know, typically funds are 10 years in duration. You can you know, oftentimes get an extension, but think of things that can be invested in and mature within a 10 year cycle. So that's typically not in the realm of, uh, you know, more of the science fiction aspects of artificial intelligence. As AI gets to be more and more a crowded marketplace, the vetting process becomes crucial. Here's Matt Wolf from Silence. Just because AI doesn't mean it's very good or well-defined or well-designed. So if you're looking at technology in this space, 
you, you should consider really diving in and seeing what they're actually doing, how they're training their systems, or the people behind it will experience in the space, and are they effective at, at what they're doing. So for people who are looking at these technologies, certainly do your due diligence. A lot of companies now in all industries are, are touting the power of machine learning and AI. Um, and so just make sure that they're actually correct in what they're doing. You know, not all AI is invented equal. We've certainly seen folks that are trying to pass off uh, what I would call statistics or stochastic processes, uh, related technologies that I would have learned undergrad, you know, over 25 years ago as AI, and that's not AI. You know, we need to be careful of what we put into the AI bucket, what we don't put into the AI bucket, because it's easy to jump on a bandwagon. And you can think of over the last 10 years, there have been various bandwagons that we've all ridden on, thinking that that was the path to the next wave of success or or something that differentiated each and every one of us in the startup world or in the venture world. And then, you know, it got overhyped, overheated, and then people got cynical. So I'd like to kind of head off that cynicism that we might all see in a couple of years now by focusing on, you know, what really is AI and machine learning based and what isn't. It's also a little bit um, disturbing because uh, people are mixing AI, ML, and all of these pieces together, and it's becoming hard to discern uh, where the right solutions fit in. That's Shazad Merchant from Gigaman. For the industry, over time, this will pose a challenge because people will not quite know where to position the right solutions. So what's missing in the industry is a model that says, this is where ML fits in, this is where AI fits in, this is where security orchestration and workflow fits in, and this is how the whole piece, uh, the whole solution looks together, right? And until we can articulate that very simply, it's going to be very difficult for people to discern where all of these different products and solutions fit. There are great companies out there. There are great opportunities out there to build interesting new companies. And uh, you know, I just think as long as we don't get caught up in all the hype, we'll all be okay. The other thing I'd like to add is for people who are wanting to get into this space in terms of wanting to understand it, wanting to apply it, wanting to, to learn about machine learning in general, there's been a lot of work in, in the open source space to provide tools for people to kind of be able to do these things themselves as well. So if you're interested in learning about this, there's a lot of great courses online for people to get started. And you don't need that deep of mathematical background to kind of at least get your feet wet. It certainly is a case of once you get started, there's a whole new world that opens up that you can dive into for 30 years and still never understand everything. But it's gotten much easier to at least get your feet wet in this space. So for people who want to learn about this, really don't be intimidated by it. There are easy ways to kind of get started building your own systems to, to kind of see what these things actually do. The current state of uh, AI-enabled SOC, as we see uh, evolving, is it's not going to be a replacement for security operations, uh, where I think truly the AI will shine and deliver the promise is when it's human-assisted AI, where uh, all the th things that AI cannot do is, uh, is the ability to assess a situation and decide an action based on a specific uh, mission or environment. Um, so that is still a handicap for AI systems. But combining human knowledge of that particular environment with AI-enabled intelligence is where uh, AI will offset the limitations of human operators and vice versa. This is where I think we will see the best outcomes in uh, manage, managing security. Um, human operators can assist AI by reinforcing the learning, providing the feedback to the AI models, and over time, we should expect the system to adapt uh, its analysis based on these uh, human inputs. 
and creates what we call the learning loop between AI and the human analysts. And that's an important point for, for customers or uh, uh, companies that are either building AI or even adapting to AI systems to know that human beings are essential in, in maturing this uh, and assisting AI as well. And that's our CyberWire special edition on artificial intelligence from the RSA conference. Our thanks to all of our experts for taking the time to speak with us and to all of you for listening. To learn more about the CyberWire and to subscribe to our podcast and daily news brief, visit thecyberwire.com. The CyberWire podcast is produced by Pratt Street Media. Our editor is John Petrick. Our social media editor is Jennifer Iben. Technical editor is Chris Russell. Executive editor is Peter Kilpie. And I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. 